Ayurveda and Psychology podcast. I am Charlotte Skogsberg, your host for this podcast. I am enchanted to meet and to take you with me on this journey into the human psyche viewed from the holistic approach of yoga and Ayurveda and viewed from the modern man approach of clinical psychology and psychoanalysis. So have something nice to drink next to you, maybe a cup of tea, have a seat, or go out for a nice walk in nature, maybe. Enjoy. In this episode that focuses on psychology, I want to continue on our journey of personality structures and more specifically on the journey of neurosis and its personality structures. As a quick reminder, Freud described the creation, let's say, of personalities like a crystal that has the lines already set inside of them. And only if the crystal would break, would it break according to the lines. And that is what he means by personality structures. So we all have a structure with, let's say, predetermined lines going one way or another. And only if we would break would these lines develop into some specific ailments, syndromes, and diseases. But as long as we don't break, we function perfectly well with our whole crystal and those lines existing, the lines that allows for the beauty of the crystal to exist the lines that allow for that beautiful prism to happen when light shines through the crystal. So as I've been speaking about the structure that is the neurotic structure and the two main lines that are developed through the neurotic structure, obsessive-compulsive and hysteria. I am absolutely speaking of healthy people, of mentally compact, mentally normal people, as we would say, knowing that what we define as normal is basically the curve of normality. So situated within the gaps or the brackets, I should probably call it instead, of where most people are situated. That's how we would define what normality is from a more statistical viewpoint. And I've spoken about the personality trait that develops obsessive-compulsive two weeks ago, and I promised that I would go on to the other one, of course, today. The hysterical personality. First and foremost, let's be clear on what's in a name. We have chosen 
in later years to take this word of hysterical or hysteria away from the vocabulary, especially the DSM, the American um, Manual of Diagnosis, really due to the fact of the stigma that this word has developed. It doesn't mean that what we've decided to label with hysterical doesn't exist. That's really important to remember. There's a connotation and there's a reason for that connotation, of course. And I have to say it due to the patriarchy that we've developed into and been in for a certain amount of centuries, hysterical or hysteria has been defined as something specifically feminine, which is not true, actually. But it has a very rational and logical explanation. Because what is it actually hysterical? Well, many would say dramatic, over-dramatizing or exaggeration, manifestations that happen more with amplitude when being observed, as opposed to when there's no one else around. What lies behind these definitions is, of course, the expression of something that is being amplified, it is being amplified because it is being suppressed where it naturally would flow out. One of the most typical images, I guess, that comes to mind is this idea of somatization, that the conflict existing inside a person is not expressed consciously, so in the thought and in the word, and instead ends up with a paralyzed arm, for instance. It is, of course, and many can probably relate to that image as well, of the damsel that faints when she sees something that shocks her, or even just the fact of not being taken um, seriously, then will burst into tears. So what we're really looking at is a psyche and a soma expressing together an internal conflict, a tension, a charge, because charge is really what life is. If you want, we can call it energy to go over to the more Ayurvedic side. But this conflict represented by this charge, therefore that tension, and that is not allowed to express itself. And so it will find an outlet that goes somewhere else. Now, if we just look at the female situation, for sure, in the time of Freud, so 1800 and so forth, and especially maybe also located in 
the old world <laughs> in Europe and in one of, I guess, the more traditional focused countries such as Austria, the situation for a woman was not one of freedom and of expression. So it's not that strange, in my opinion, that if you have no freedom, you're not allowed to express yourself, you are not actually responsible for your own actions because you don't have the possibility to own things, to possess money, you are being kept by one man until the day that it's then decided that you are mature enough to then be kept by another man that you maybe even didn't choose. Your will, your desire is definitely not allowed to express itself freely. So I would say that this hysterical personality trait is simply, simply a symptom of the times. When I spoke of the obsessive-compulsive personality structure, I spoke of the, in those days, which has of course mixed up much more since then, typical evolution of the little boy with the access to the phallus, to the power that was direct and therefore possessed and the big fear came in of losing it and then therefore any action that is taken, any choice to be made has such grave consequences because the risk of castration, of losing the phallus, the power, was imminent. When we speak of the hysterical personality structure, we would therefore instead look at the girl more specifically, and especially in those days, where the phallus somehow has been taken away. And so, both the little boy and the little girl turn towards the mother for the feeling of wholeness and of power, as I've spoken about several weeks ago. It starts out in this complete power, almighty. Now, what is discovered by the child is the genitals when the child begins to experience their own bodies. And this is where, from the Freudian perspective, boy and girl will only be touched by what is present and what is lacking of presence. And that, from their perspective, what is, is the male genital visible and what is really striking in its absence is the existence of the penis for the girl and therefore the mother which means that the mother must be 
in lack of it as well. And this is where kind of that whole process of the Oedipus complex begins. When it comes to the girl, the, there are several things to, to mention. And before I even say that, let's just get clear on one thing. Freud died with one question that he just had not been able to answer for himself. And the question was around the female Oedipus complex. Because his question was, and it's been romantically probably translated, but what do women want? So he was not clear, even with himself, on the solution or the resolving of the Oedipus complex on the female side as opposed to the male side. And there's many interpretations of his work, and there's many people who have said that it is outdated, that it's wrong. And don't get me wrong, I put no personal opinion in this when I'm talking about it, but I find that there's some aspects that are very interesting and very true. And once again, we are not talking about an ultimate truth, as in as if that would be like a, a biological explanation to things. The way I see it is that all of these things, Oedipus, the phallus, and all of that, are symptoms of a societal bigger dynamic, which means that that could look very different in a different context. So as the young girl realizes that she does not have a penis. Actually, her own body becomes the phallus. And this is where I personally see all around me in hysterical situations, hysterical traits in people, this somatization, this identifying the body with the phallus, with the power, with the almighty. And I believe that we all can recognize what I'm saying here. Because what is body image if not this seeking of power? Why are we so obsessed with our bodies and how they look and that they're supposed to function a certain way and the effect that they have on someone else? There's so much in how we feel about our own bodies that is complicated and eternally dissatisfied. And you see the hysterical personality structure is doomed with the cross to bear of eternal dissatisfaction. The same way that the obsessive compulsive is doomed to always yearn for perfection and always agonizing over not being perfect, of trying so hard to make it perfect. Well, on the other hand of this then, the hysterical structure, it is the constant seeking of filling the void, but that never happens, that blocks itself in the middle of it because it's too dangerous to actually access complete, well, jouissance, as Lacan would put it, which is very simply translated into complete satisfaction. It is so much more than just satisfaction. There is this danger in obtaining the satisfaction. And now, if we bring ourselves back to the little girl and the idea that she realizes that she doesn't have the phallus, and so she personifies it into her body. She turns away from the mother towards the father in the Freudian perspective of the Oedipus complex in order to obtain the complete satisfaction of the phallus through the look, the gaze of the father's eyes on her. 
on her body then. Simply said, what we've often called daddy issue. Trying to catch his attention. His love really is, of course, what it is. By therefore trying to be all those things that she can only imagine would bring his attention. Being pretty, being sweet, being, you know, just smile and nod, right? Be quiet and pretty and sit back and daddy will be happy. Picture yourself for one moment that the love of the other, belonging, existence, security, depends on what you do to catch their attention. And that since you don't have that one organ that would signify the phallus, then your whole being becomes the phallus, then all of a sudden your value, your worth to exist becomes 100% dependent in correlation with just how much that body is seen. Now come tell me that the hysterical personality trait or structure doesn't exist. When all we see around us are manifestations of this, whether it's women or men, let's just start with women because it's definitely there for men as well. And let's just be clear on that. Even back when, and it wasn't Freud who invented um, the name, this has existed since the Greeks, but back then there was definitely male hysterical uh, personalities as well, okay? But let's just start with women, learning from very early on how to manipulate their appearance in order to make sure that they are being appreciated. This is, of course, in how their physical bodies look. It is also, of course, what you put on your face. Because since the Egyptians, women have been coloring their faces in order to enhance their beauty traits. It goes with, of course, the billion dollar industry of fashion that's been oriented towards women, focused on women mainly for its whole existence, even though that has changed in the last few years. But I mean, if we look at from it when it started, it's always been very focused on women, whether it's just what she's wearing, or don't even get me started on all the accessories. Because these accessories, all of it, the physical body, the hair, the makeup, the accessories, the clothing, the shoes, the handbags, whatever, are all manifestations of the phallus, of the power. This is why it is so unfair when we begin to shame women for being superficial to being too occupied with their physical appearance because deep down it's not superficial at all it is the yearning for freedom it is the yearning for empowerment actually even if unfortunately it then takes on by the fashion industry as a really great way to make money on telling women that what she needs to do is to please a man 
that you might have heard of, and if you haven't, I would definitely recommend for all of you to have a look into that, the, the whole beginning of advertisement of these madmen in New York, all of it really starting from Freud's, I think, was it nephew, who came over, because um, unless I'm wrong about this, but of course with the war and everything, um, the Freudian family flew to, being Jewish specifically of course, to London, to England, and from probably England then, his nephew would make it over to America. Now I might need to double check on that information, and you are more than welcome to let me know if you know. But he sold this whole idea of psychoanalysis to advertising. And that's why advertisement looks the way it does and promises women power and freedom if she smokes cigarettes. That's how it was sold to women, of course. And all the rest with it. And so already she's seeking to re-empower herself. And because she's seeking that, there's an underlying helplessness in there. Helplessness then coming from a deep feeling of shame that there is something wrong with me. Because let's face it, if I didn't have what the boy might have, it might be because it was taken away from me. And if it was taken away from me, am I inherently someone bad? And then by manipulating her appearance that way to regain this phallus, this power, to heighten, to lose a little bit of that shame, and then she's also being now shamed for doing it as well. So it's a double shaming, which is very harsh. And, you know, once again, it's not just women. We've all heard the stories of, you know what they say, about a man with a really big car compensating for the lack of the phallus. I am so grateful that you have chosen to give me some time of your day to listen to this episode. Now, this is all done on my free time. There's no money involved in this podcast. So if you would like to support me somehow, I would love for that to happen. And you could do that by simply rating and reviewing. So what that means is that if you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can simply give me five stars review and you can give me a commentary. Obviously, if you feel that it deserves it. Once again, thank you so much and enjoy the listening. It is this idea of creating the illusion of something, enhancing something, so that we look at that in order to hide what is missing behind. That is really a part of the essence of the hysterical personality traits. And just look at social media. So who can say that hysteria doesn't exist? It is all around us constantly. And the more we disregard it, the more power it has over us. I've said this before. Whatever we are not conscious of in our personality will always have control over us. And it is only when we bring what is unconscious into the conscious that it loses that control over us and that we can make peace with it and then let it go. 
Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this podcast and this episode. I am very grateful. If you enjoyed this and you think that other people could enjoy this, please help me to spread the word. Share this episode on any channel that you have of social media or messaging. And even more so, I would really appreciate if you know one other person who might benefit from my words today specifically. Take that one minute it takes to simply share this episode with one person. Remember that there's a human being on the other side of your phone, of your earpods, of this microphone. And I would love to hear your thoughts on what I've been talking about. So please leave a comment. Send me a message directly if you wish. This is Charlotte. This is me. See you next time. Namaste.